You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Packernet After Dark podcast. It is the podcast run by Packers fans. It is also the least stressful thing I have to do in my life because I don't even have to care if the show sucks because that's not my fault. Well, I guess it's kind of my fault because I I have to contribute a little bit. But um, even if my contributions suck, I'm going to blame you. Because, I mean, you, you guys should be helping me out with some uh, some better questions or comments or whatever. But no, I think uh, I think things have been going swimmingly. Aside for the part where I, I missed some of your calls, I apologize for that. Actually, we're going to start there because one of the things I wish I could do, and maybe I can, I'm just stupid, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I know I'm stupid, I just don't know if that's contributing to this issue. Um, but I wish I could mark some of these. Like, even if I could just do Mark is unread, just so I know which ones are done and which ones I are uh, are not done. But I don't think I can. I could delete all of these, but that's that would take a long time, and I don't really want to. I wouldn't be able to hang on to them. You never know. You know, you know I don't know. I'm a, I'm a voicemail hoarder. But anyways, until I get that all figured out, I'm going to occasionally miss a couple calls. But um, Omar reached out and said, hey, uh, thanks for taking my second call, but you never took my sec- my first call. So... Why don't we do that? Because he's right. I, I did. I referenced it a bunch of times about how I was going to talk about it, and then I never did. Um, so why don't we start off with that? We'll get to Omar in his first ever official call, which was from uh, Tuesday, a long time ago. Hello, what's up? This is uh, Omar. I want to say local firefighter, but I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, just want to say I love your show. Um, I had three things for you. One is positive, one negative. Uh, and third is the suggestion. First positive, as I say, you do a great job. You're very relatable. Um, I love hearing your take, and I agree with you about 99.9%. Uh, negative, I think that you're sleeping a little bit on Trey Lance because Garoppolo, to me, was a crappy quarterback, and they're moving on from him for Trey Lance. So Trey Lance don't have to be great. He just needs to be better than Garoppolo, which is, shouldn't be that hard, and also he can run. So I wouldn't sleep on him as much as you're doing. I think, you know, I, I think he's probably going to be better than uh, Fields. Um, and lastly, about your suggestion on what to watch, uh, Stranger Things is fire. It's great. Uh, also, I would recommend uh, maybe like The Walking Dead or something like that. If you ever watch that, that's longer, so you have plenty more seasons. And at least watch it until the Negan set. All right, have a blessed day. Go Pack, go. I'm out. All right, so definitely got to do Walking Dead. I, at the very least, I need to get an answer for why I keep turning it off because I don't have any recollection of watching it and being like, this show sucks, I'm not watching this. I don't remember that at all. I know I've watched it, and I know I've never finished it, so I, I don't know what's going on. But I'll I'll try it again for like the third time, and we'll get an official answer on why I don't ever watch it. Um, as for the first part, liking the show and all that, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the love. Um. Trey Lance, though, there's, there's kind of two different parts to it. There's the part where you say you think he's going to be better than Fields and Garoppolo and all that stuff. That's fine. I'm 
kind of just looking at the clues that we have so far. I'm looking into the past and saying there's nothing there. I know one of the things I'd laid out about Trey Lance, I don't remember the specifics, and I don't really want to go back and redig up all the information, but it's something to the effect. And it makes sense. When, when you look at all the other quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round, it's because you want to move on. Everybody else started. Everybody else. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, the, the, whole, the whole band. Um, and it's not as though everybody else was so good they had to be forced onto the field. And it's not necessarily even as though there was nobody else that could play. I mean, Chicago, I think, had a much better quarterback playing than Justin Fields, and they forced him out anyways because he's the future. On top of that, the 49ers did try to push him out on the field. They tried. He was terrible. They put Garoppolo back in. Then they tried to do some, like, packages. Like, well, let's keep Garoppolo out there, but see if we can just run him out for some packages. That was a disaster. So they're like, just forget it, and they stopped playing him. And as far as his rushing ability, I, I, I'm i scared of it on a personal level in terms of him going up against the Packers and worrying that that's going to be the one thing that, that dooms us. But they're, most good quarterbacks are not super mobile quarterbacks. I, I feel like that's a thing that the NFL is really trying to make work. Like, they tried it a long time ago, and then it kind of went by the wayside. Now it's coming back. But who are the super fast quarterbacks that are really good? Lamar is trash. Kyler Murray's trash. Justin Fields is trash. All those guys, are they're not just fast. I'm talking stupid fast. Like, next level fast. Like, making Colin Kaepernick look slow fast. Maybe it's a little unfair to call Kyler trash, but he... he he kind of showed a flash, just like um, I think Lamar did, and then started to fall off. And, and either way, Kyler completely abandoned his ability to run. He, he gave up, and he needs to, because he's one of the lowest-graded rushers in football, because fast doesn't necessarily equate to good runner. Uh, Josh Allen can run, but he's not blazing fast, and nobody cares, really. It's his arm that people are scared of. But Joe Burrow, nobody cares. Tom Brady can't move. Aaron Rodgers, not fast. Kirk Cousins, not fast. Justin Herbert can move, but nobody cares. He's got a cannon. Matt Stafford can't move. Dak Prescott, meh. Josh Allen, he can run, but again, nobody cares. Ryan Tannehill, Mac Jones, Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, Pat Mahomes can move, but he's not blazing. Nobody cares. So it's an added dimension, but but I, I stand by the fact that I also think it makes it harder. It's so much harder to be a mobile quarterback because being a quarterback is hard enough. When you have to have add in this extra d- dynamic of trying to have this field of vision to be able to throw the ball, but also kind of doubling that vision to see if you can run the ball, you're, the, the, you're doubling the amount of mental work you have to do. It's a much harder thing to do, and that's why it's easier. You know, I, I think, again, Kyler all of a sudden became a terrible runner and a really prominent thrower. Like He became a good thrower of the football, but not as good of a runner. I think that happened on purpose. Now, maybe that's because he's trying to preserve himself until he gets his big contract. Now he doesn't care. He can do whatever he wants. I don't know, because he got paid. But he's a better quarterback now than he was. He's a better thrower of the football. In fact, for a while there, he was one of the better throwers in the entire NFL, uh, I think through about week seven or so. Again, he kind of fell off after that, but still. I just, I just don't really care all that much, because nobody's really doing much with that. So, And, and none of that means he's not going to be a good quarterback. I'll, I'll grant you that, yeah, maybe he's going to be great. Just like I'll grant you or, or anybody else, somebody else, that Jordan Love might be great. I don't know. I don't have any reason to believe that, though. That's, that's sort of the point. But we're going to find out because at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it is unfair to judge him too much because he didn't play all that much. And now he's going to be thrust into it and the, the offense is going to be built entirely around Trey Lance. Probably going to be an offense that runs the ball a lot more. And so you have a rushing offense plus the dynamic of Trey Lance being able to run. 
with like throwing mixed in. So it's it's kind of like you you expect run and then, you know, he he has a very simple job ahead of him to to throw the ball, but he still has to do it. And and again, all the signs pointed to things not being great. But you're right. And and I don't exactly know what you're referring to, so I don't know what I had said, but everything we've seen so far is bad. The future is completely unknown, and he might have a great career, and you're right. And 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 if he becomes a really good thrower and runner, then yeah, we're all doomed. And that's the reason why teams want mobile quarterbacks. I'm just saying we don't usually see it. Next up, we have uh, Bramble the Food Snob. Dude, your tacos are literally burritos. Bye. <laughs> I love that. Your tacos are literally burritos. Bye. All right, so so just just first of all, let's let's talk through it. The the first kind of tacos I talked about are clearly not burritos. The second ones, though, I'm, and, and I'm asking, is the only thing that makes a burrito a burrito is that it's a taco that has a bigger shell that you roll up? Because if so, then yeah, probably. But I, I even use, I roll up the smaller ones, too, because it's just easier. Get the regular taco shells, I'll roll those, too. If it's the rice, I don't usually put rice on it. But what makes a burrito a burrito? I guess I don't know the difference. If it's rolling it up, then yeah, I, I eat burritos with corn, tor- uh, with flour tortillas, because I always roll it up. And honestly, it's not even because it makes a mess. It's because I'm also kind of a psycho about when I take a bite of something, I want everything to be equally distributed. And if you just leave it like a normal thing, you got all the food sitting on the bottom, then you got just the tortilla on the top, and that's stupid. So when you bite on the bottom, it's like full of food, and then you got like this tortilla that you just got to eat. If you roll it, though, it's all just in this nice little package. Granted, the ends are going to have a little bit more tortilla, but, you know, such is life. Because you got all like the little knot in there and everything. It's just, it's, it's layers of tortilla. But I, I even am picky about like where the salsa and the cheese is because at times, especially with the burrito ones, because they're much thicker, if you bite on one side, you get a mouth f- full of salsa with no cheese on it. Well, that sucks. Or, or all cheese, no salsa or anything. You got to get the whole thing. So that's why I, that's a big reason why I roll it all up. Sometimes by rolling it, all I do is I fold one end and then I fold the top down just so it's, it accomplishes everything. You keep it from falling out of the bottom and you get all the everything in one bite. So I guess I'm asking, what makes a a taco a burrito? How do I turn a taco into a burrito? Do I just roll it up? If so, then yes. Although my quote-unquote authentic tacos are clearly not burritos. And I did make them last night. It wasn't as satisfying as I had hoped. I don't know. I I think I just, I'm still not feeling super great. So I wasn't very hungry. I was kind of excited about the idea and I made the rice and everything. And I was like, I don't know. It's just not very I don't, I don't have the meat that I need. That's the problem. I need, some, I need some ground beef or something or make some pork chops or I just got garbage meat. But anyways, uh, Mr. Bramble, if you want to add some context to it, do some research and let me know or just tell me if you just know off the top of your head. But I don't know. I don't know what makes it a burrito. Um, Dakota is next. Hey, y'all. Uh, hey, Ryan. This is Dakota, uh, the, the, the that nerd on Twitter. Uh, I didn't tell y'all last time, but I'm from Tennessee. Hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, what's up? So, I I really want to inquire about uh, some pet peeves of yours, Ryan. Oh, maybe we we'll get Lord. to know you a little bit better. Uh, I have one that I witnessed this morning, and, and maybe it's the degree to which this peeve has been pet, but I swear I've never heard Jeez. anybody actually use this word, and it, it astounds me. So, look. When you have an itch, yep. you scratch it. Right. You don't itch it. Right. You don't apply an itch to an itch. Your body's already itching. You got to scratch it 
to get rid of the itch or make it worse, depending on what you get. But the point is, stop telling folks to stop itching yourself. No, you stop scratching yourself. That doesn't make All sense. Right? So what about you? Is there any dumb pet peeve like that one? Oh, I know I shouldn't care that much, but I really do. Really, really gets me. How about you, Ryan? Let's hear about it. Peace. So the only thing I'm trying to do is figure out, do I say itch yourself? I know it didn't trigger that in my head, although it's going to do that from now on. I don't think I say that. Don't itch yourself. I'm, 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 I mean, I'll say I'm itchy, but I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think if I say that. But I'm, I'm absolutely going to geek out about it now whenever I hear that. Like, you, what do you mean you're itching yourself? That would be like if somebody punches you in the arm and you get a bruise and you start rubbing your arm. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, I'm bruising myself. And what? Yeah, I'm bruising myself, dude. Somebody punched me in the arm and it hurts and I got a bruise, so I'm bruising myself. That's not correct. Man, I've got so many. I'm trying to think which ones. It's weird because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a grammar Nazi. If anything, grammar Nazis annoy me more than anything because who cares? I don't care. Okay. For me, writing and, and everything is about communication, right? LOL isn't a word, but I know what it means and I get the point. If somebody sends me a text that says, your dog is at my house and they put Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, I'm not confused as to what they mean. I'm not sitting there going, you, our dog is at my house. You, our dog is at my house. What does that mean? I know what it means, which is the point of sending the text is to communicate information to me. I got the information. I understand it. I'm moving on. I don't care. But I think that's just my brain generally because I just see big picture everything. I don't care about details. I really don't. I, I just, I, I care about the, the big stuff and the little stuff just annoys me. So, you know, People that, it almost kind of blows my mind that people even see that stuff because I look at it and it's just all this big picture that just hits me and it's like, all right, I get it. And then someone's like, look at that one little detail there. You see how somebody did that wrong? I'm like, what? What? How do you even see that? I don't understand how your brain works, but different wiring for different people. So uh, grammar Nazis definitely annoy me. That wasn't really the question, but I, I guess it is. That, that, that is one. Uh, grammar Nazi-ing. Is, a, is sort of a pet peeve of mine, which I know I'm going to get just absolutely bombarded with that from now on. Um, the only other one that comes to mind, people in Wisconsin don't understand how to uh, speak properly. And there's this thing that they do when, um, and it's funny because we just did this, we were doing school with our kids. And, you know, when your kids are little and you try to say, show how to say certain words or, or endings to certain words, and it'll be like, A-D says add. And then there'll be a list of words and be like, you know, they'll, they'll sound out ad and then there'll be a letter in front of it. So P-A-D is pad, pad, dad, lad, you know, they get it, whatever. Then A-G came up. A-G is ag, like A-D is ad, like A anything is anything else. A in a consonant makes an a sound. A-B is ab, A-D is ad, A-F would be af. It's always a. People in Wisconsin think that if it's a G, though, that's the one exception, and it makes an A sound. So it's not pad or, or bag, not ad, it's ag. It's not bag, it's bag. It's not tag, it's tag. It makes me insane, Be, because it's just, it's just incorrect. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, it's one thing to have an accent. It's another thing to teach my kids grammar improperly. <laughs> like, that's not what the sound is. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I suck at English, but I'm positive that AG is ag. It'd be like in Wisconsin, one plus one is two, one plus two is three, one plus four is five, one plus five though is eight, but everything else is, is fine. No, 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 sorry. Nope. Can't just walk by that one. I got a lot of driving pet peeves. 
basically, the, the funny thing is everybody that I've ever met has driving pet peeves, but yet every single day of my life that I've been on the road is people that, that don't do it the right way. I don't know who these people are. It's almost as if the government has this super secret plot to drive people crazy where they hire millions of people to drive up and down roads the wrong way. And all of us are like, who's doing this? I don't know who's doing this because everybody I've ever talked to gets very angry about people driving too slow in the left lane. Get over. This is, this is such a basic concept and you don't get it. Basically, how, how this works, for those that don't know, is by default, you're in the right lane. That's where you sit. That's where you stay. If, if, it, if the right lane is going too slow and there's three or more lanes, you can move over to the, to the next lane and you go at that pace. And if that's going too slow, then you can go over. The farthest left lane, though, is just a passing lane. You don't sit there. You don't stay there. You technically can. I mean, it's actually illegal in a lot of places, but let's just say for the sake of I don't care, you can stay there as long as you want. But the second somebody's coming up on you, you got to get over. You have to get out of their way, ideally before they get up to you, because they shouldn't have to sit there and go, are you going to move? Are you going to move? And then, then take their cruise control off and then start to hit their brakes. They shouldn't have to do any of that. So get over as soon as possible. As soon as you can look in your rear view and say, hey, that guy's clearly doing about 15 miles an hour faster than me, so I'm going to get over and let him pass, and then I'm going to go back. Or just not, because I don't need to be sitting in that lane. But by default, you go in the furthest right lane that you can that is going at an adequate pace. If it's 70 miles an hour, and you're okay doing 70, and you want to do 70, do 70 in the far right lane. If you want to do 75 and they're, they're doing 70, go in the middle lane because they're probably doing about 75. If you want to do 80, you're probably going to have to sit in the middle lane and then, you know, pass people on occasion. In fact, I, it got to be so annoying for me that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do 75 because trying to do 80 and like weave and do all this constant weaving and speeding and slowing and all that, it's not worth it. So I'm just going to sit and chill. But it's basic. And then if there's one that really, really, really drives me nuts that no one else seems to be that upset about is merging. You should be doing the speed limit when you merge, okay? Do the speed limit when you merge. If you can, sometimes it's a really short on-ramp and you're driving a, you know, a truck or something, can't do it, fine. But you, you, you cannot merge with a car doing 70 if you're doing 50. It's, it's physically impossible. And it is your job as the merger to do the merging. It's not everybody else's job to move out of your way. That's not how that works. You need to be do, going with the flow of traffic so that you can get in between a couple cars and just continue coasting. Ideally, nobody has to slow down. You know why there's so much traffic and, and so much stop and go, all this nonsense? It's because of people who don't know how to merge. And then everybody has to slow down and it causes a train, chain reaction. And because there's exits constantly, there's constantly this stopping and stopping and stopping and stopping. If you would speed up, if you would freaking speed up and merge with traffic so that they don't have to move, I should, I should not have to adjust my speed at all. That is 100% on you. Now, if I'm bumper to bumper, yeah, I'm going to have to give you a little space. But I'm going to give you one car length, and it's your job to fit in that spot. And you can't fit in that spot if you're going slower than me. You have to go my exact speed. Otherwise, I'm going to hit you, or I have to slow down, which is, again, the problem we're trying to avoid. It's not hard. It's not complicated yet. Nobody ever, ever does it. Nobody goes the flow of traffic. Everybody's going 10 to 20 miles an hour slower and nobody checks their mirror until they're right, ready about to come over. When I'm on the ramp, I'm looking back behind me, like who's trying to gauge the situation? Who's there? Where are they? Should I speed up, slow down, whatever? And what I'll do is I'll find a car that's behind me because he's probably doing about 20 miles an hour faster than me as I'm accelerating. And I'm saying, I'm going to gun for that guy's bumper. 
Then as you get up there, you watch that guy pass you, you gun it, you go after his bumper. The amount of times I see people doing 20 under the speed limit who are, you know, you get to that little curved part and then it goes straight. And then you got about, you know, eight seconds to get over before you run into a tree or something or exit. They have to get over immediately. And this is the first time they've decided to glance in their mirror. And then they're just like, um, excuse me, I'm coming over. Excuse me, I have to be here. Well, that's your problem, dum-dum. That's not my problem. You got to figure this out. I'm driving. We're all driving. You see these thousands of people that are already on the expressway? We've already got a destiny. We already made it on the expressway. We've already set our cruise control. We're cruising. There's several car lengths between each one of these cars. You pick a spot and you join in the fun. But I'm not slowing down for you and I'm sure as heck not getting over. So you can sit there and honk like a moron. You can come to a stop on an Omran if you want for all I care. Because you can't figure this out. So yeah, I got a couple pet peeves. I don't know. Can't really think of any. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of a lot of driving ones. Anyways, um, Nevin, not Devin, um, called back and clarified a little bit with his call from yesterday. Hey, this is uh, Nevin from Iowa. Just started listening to the podcast. And I think what I said got taken a little out of context. What I meant, I didn't mean that the Packers were trying tank. That's not what I meant. I meant that a lot of people in the media basically say their their record, their team's going to fall off without Devontae Adams. I don't think I did. I think I, it was a bad choice of words on my part. I was not inferring at all that they're going to be bad and that they're going that they're purposely trying to tank. Uh, sorry about that. But. So yeah, I mean that, that that is sort of the the narrative, I guess, is that the, the Packers are going to fall off. Thank you, by the way, for the clarification, Nevin from Iowa. I, I think we've kind of attacked that from so many different angles. But to go back to your original question, if Devontae is worth that much, why aren't the Raiders Super Bowl favorites? If the Packers go from, you know, Super Bowl contenders to garbage, then it would seem to logically follow that Devontae Adams would make the Raiders Super Bowl contenders. I think that's fair, but ultimately it really just comes down to th- this stuff isn't super thought out. <laughs> it's not very... um I don't know. It's a very mathematical way of thinking on your part. And, and that's just, that's way over the heads of the people who are just coming up with this stuff. You know, again, it's, it's super shallow. All this stuff is shallow. And, and the biggest issue I have with most of these things is that if you do just a tiny bit of digging, just scratch to get under the surface, just scratch away at the surface, it starts to fall apart. And, and this is a good example of that. Well, the Packers lost Devontae. And so their hopes of, being contenders are dashed. Wow, Devontae was a big deal, huh? Oh, yeah. Raiders Super Bowl contenders? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, a team is more than wide receivers, as you well know. And, you know, granted, they have a decent enough quarterback and tight end and running back and offensive line and improved defense and everything, but still not enough with uh, with Devontae. I, I, I get it, man. I, I, I can't elaborate because you're right. There's nothing to add to that. It's it's stupid. You know it's stupid. Everybody knows it's stupid. Now, again, can they get worse? Sure. But are they going to completely fall off? No, that's ridiculous. If the Packers completely fall off, it will be for a series of reasons. By the way, news uh, broke here that I can see that David Bakhtiari was added to the pup list. Um, so that that is a problem. It'll be things like that that, um, that cause these issues. It's going to be injuries. It's going to be... Um, you know, again, things maybe just not panning out as well as we hoped. It could be the wide receivers, 
but it has to be more than that. The offensive line does not materialize, whether it be because of injuries or just guys not performing up to standards, defense not being up to par. That that All of those things combine into a perfect storm to make the Packers fall apart. It's not one thing. It's certainly not just Devontae Adams, which, again, it doesn't need to be said to this audience, but 7-0 without Devontae Adams, very cursory look at how the Packers perform without him. Clearly, it's not a team that falls apart, so... Again, I, 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 I can't elaborate anymore on that situation. we got three more calls pending anybody else uh, calling in real quick. So if you got nothing for me, we'll take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to support the podcast, the phone call number, call number for the phone, 608-501-0718, 608-501-0718. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you're feeling. Let me know what you're eating, dreaming about. Watching on TV, what you're grilling, let me know your fears, your desires, and of course, your feuds. I need to know. Give me a call. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, Pac Daddy. Hi, Ryan. How you doing? Mike Hebring here. Hey, long-time listener, um, long-time Patreon. Uh, just love your podcast, as you know. Um, got a quick question for you. One of the things that I'll never forget um, was the 2000, I believe it was the 2019 draft when Rashawn Gary was picked. Uh, 12th by the Packers. Obviously, um, as you know, you probably know, I was not a big fan of that selection at the time. Um, but, you know, after watching this young man for the last three years uh, work his ass off with the Packers and see his work ethic and, you know, we are, you know, you talk all the time about his, his pass rush um, uh, prowess in regard to pressures his pressure percentages and whatnot. Obviously, he's not getting the uh, national recognition that I, I think all of us feel like he deserves at this point. And I think we know why that is. I mean, clearly, he doesn't get enough sacks. And until that does, until that changes, uh, he's simply not going to get the recognition nationally that he probably deserves. 
Um, I guess my question, my specific question is, so last year, obviously, T.J. Uh, Watt led the, led the league in sacks, I think, at 22 and a half. And Rashawn Gary was, at, I believe, ranked 18th at nine and a half. Um, obviously, there's quite a few players above him in sacks that we would we would certainly agree are not not even close to the same player that Rashawn Gary is. I guess the question is, what does he have to do in regards to sacks in order to start getting some national recognition? Um, I look forward to your uh, your thoughts on it. Thanks, back, Daddy. You know, I was thinking about that. By the way, thanks for clarifying your name. Mike has been around for a very long time, long-time patron, long-time uh, Facebook group guy. Um, and so I've referenced a lot of his questions and whatnot, and I've been calling him Hebering, I think, for probably years now. But Hebering, I believe, is what you said. Um, <laughs> I just I just had a thought. Another thing I could add to the show that would spice it up would be pretty funny. Um, but I, I, w- I was kind of thinking of the same thing. When I keep addressing, you know, the converting pressures to sacks isn't quite there. What do you have to do to get there? What What is the problem? And I don't think I have an answer for that. Um, I don't know if there are generic answers or maybe it's different for each person. Sometimes it's just kind of one of those things because it is kind of a fluky, a fluky deal, you know. Any of these small stat type things, you end up with coin toss type numbers where you might have something weird where you get seven heads and two tails, you know? doesn't really make sense. You look at statistically, well, it should be better than that. It's like, yeah, well, it isn't. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Over 500,000 times, it's going to be almost exactly 50-50, but small sample size type numbers, you're going to get wonky numbers. You, you might have a season with six interceptions, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. You know, I wonder if they can do it again. It's like, yeah, probably not. It was just a weird thing where the balls just happened to go the right direction. The only thing that does kind of come to mind for me in terms of Rashawn and a lot of the Packers pass rushers, Zadarius and um, Preston and all those guys is at least the way it was taught under Mike Smith and all that is uh, there's a lot of compressing the pocket. And um, I don't know enough about the, the, the how and the why and all that stuff, but I know it's extremely beneficial. I know it's great. And I know a lot of time when they get sacks, it's, it's because the, the pressure, the, the pocket gets compressed. And, you know, obviously the benefit of that is if, if you have one guy like Rashawn break through, he can just cleanly run to the other side if everyone's just kind of being flying around the field. So you want to close him in. And a lot of times you'll see the whole pocket just kind of crumble in on top of him. And so there's a lot of benefits to it. You, you scare the quarterback, you get the pressures, but also there's not really anywhere for him to go. I think the negative is, though, you're, you're kind of keeping the offensive tackle in front of you. What I mean, it, I think regularly Rashawn's goal is to push the tackle into the quarterback. And you create, essentially, you're, you're sort of like a two-gapping football player where you, you compress the pocket, and if he tries to run, you, you grab him. And we've seen Rashawn do that, right? There's, there's slight little cracks in between each of these defensive tackles and edge rushers pushing in on you, and they might try to squeeze through, and you reach that big old bear paw out, and you drag him down, and there you go. There's your sack. Obviously, if you're a guy like Miles Garrett or TJ Watt, it might be worthwhile rather than sitting here and trying to work as a unit and wait for everybody else to pull their weight. I'm just going to throw this man in front of me on his face and sprint over there and bring him down. Now, again, I'm, I'm speculating. I don't know if that is a reason or the reason or whatever. And obviously, if Rashawn has a clean hit, he's, he's not going to like slow down and be like, well, let's, let's just all work together. You know, everybody row together. 
But I think generally the the starting point isn't just let's every man for himself start trying to run recklessly at the quarterback because we want to try to contain him and slowly make sure that we methodically get this working properly. And so you can have a lot of situations where, you know, especially with bull rush, which Rashawn is quite good at, you're scaring the quarterback out of the pocket, but you're not necessarily bringing him down. And you're probably, in, in a lot of cases, scaring him over to guys like Preston who are much higher sack numbers because you got quarterbacks just running at you all the time. And so the question kind of becomes, let's just assume that is the case. Do you want to abandon that and return to the days of just letting guys like Clay Matthews just try to get there? Any means necessary. Forget everybody else. Forget everything else. Forget contain. Just just run wildly at the quarterback and hope for the best. I don't know that I do because way too often we've seen pass rushers get to the quarterback and they spin out and just run away, right? That's that's where you get the Trey Lance and the, the mobile quarterbacks just running all over the place. It just doesn't do any good. I mean, a lot of these quarterbacks, especially as fast as they are, if they see you, they're just going to take off. On top of that, just compressing the pocket and scaring the quarterback can ruin the, the whole play. And whether it results in a sack or a pick, which Rashawn is responsible for several picks just because quarterbacks freak out and, and launch the ball, or, you know, throwing the ball away or, you know, short scramble for a few yards. Either way, we ruin the play. So I tend to like what we've got going on. Of course, we want the sack numbers to go up because sacks are phenomenal things that happen. But if I had to choose, he gets more sacks, but we kind of fail on a lot more plays, or we continue to to stick with this compressing the pocket thing, disrupt as a unit more often. Um, Rashawn keeps getting massive amounts of pressures and wins because he crushes the guy in front of him regularly, but he just doesn't always materialize, at least as much as other pass rushers, into sacks as often as as everybody else. Um, If we're largely just talking about media narrative, I think I'm okay with it. But Mike, thank you very much for the call. Thanks for all your support. Thank you to everybody, by the way, for all these calls are are really helpful, and I appreciate it. Many of the people calling are longtime listeners, longtime supporters of the show, so it's greatly appreciated. I, I, I'm glad you guys are playing along with me in yet another nonsensical venture of mine. Let's get to Craig on the phone line. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig. Hope hey. you're doing well. Um, a few things. One is uh, being a foodie. I wondered if you had tried a smoked meatloaf yet. Um, if not, I can tell you more about that. And if you have, I don't know if you've tried it in a cupcake tin where you do individual kind of uh, – the servings there, which is kind of cool. That's Cooks brilliant. a little faster. Brilliant. Um, so that's it on, on the food part. Let's stop there because I keep forgetting what we're talking about. Um, I haven't, but I, I will say this. I, I should probably try that. I loved meatloaf as a kid. Um, and I, I, I don't know too many. See, like meatloaf isn't that popular of a thing. Like I don't know too many people that make it or anything like that. So it's, I, I guess I'm not sure. Of the people that have had it, how many people like it or dislike it? Like, is it a nationally recognized delicious food or something people usually don't like? The other thing is the topping. Most people I've talked to, it's just ketchup. I had that once. My grandma made it, for, and my grandma makes delicious food. I love all her cooking. She made me a meatloaf, and she did it with ketchup, and I, I, it was horrific. Um, when I was younger, it was like a sweet. I don't know what it was. It's just, I thought it was like a meatloaf topping. It was, it was almost like a barbecue. It might've just been barbecue sauce. I don't know. Um, but I loved, loved, loved meatloaf. So I'm excited to try it. Obviously that was just, you know, back in the, in the oven and whatnot. So I've not, I've not had meatloaf in probably like 20 years. I've not had good meatloaf in um, probably 20 years or 25 years. I don't know. So I got to try it. There's a good chance I'm going to end up 
disappointing myself, but um, I miss it, man. I, I, I miss a good meatloaf. Should maybe just reach out to my sister and have her have her get that recipe for me. But I definitely need to try it. And I think the uh, the cupcake thing is a, is a brilliant idea. In fact, something else I, I've I've made that I really liked, but it was really cheap and gross. But it, you can certainly elevate it. Is um, I would take the biscuit, the the can of biscuits, cut them into thirds because they're too big, and then kind of shape it into these uh, cupcake molds. Inside the cupcake, cheese, meatballs, hot sauce, and they're like these delicious little game day poppers. So for football games, you'd have these biscuits with meatballs and cheese and hot sauce. And you just, I mean, you can, they're technically like two biters, you know, but I, I, you could, you could, if you wanted to, you could pop that whole thing in your mouth, but, um, meatball cupcakes or excuse me, meat, uh, meatloaf cupcakes sounds amazing. Anyways, let's uh, continue on. Uh, second, some recommendations on shows. There's currently one that's out called the old man. Uh, stars Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. It's pretty cool. It's uh, an FX show, but you can watch it on Hulu. Um, a couple other people recommended, I think, to you already, The Americans and The Wire. Those are both good ones. Um, you talked about uh, The Teacher That Made Meth, which I assume you're talking about Breaking Bad. There it is. And I assume you've already seen Better Call Saul, but if you haven't, it's, uh, it's a great prequel. Uh, another show that I- I'm going to pause there for one second. I did watch Better Call Saul. Um, it was one of those things where the first episode just kind of turned me off and I stopped, but I know it's still going and people talk about it pretty regularly. So it's like, maybe I should go back and check that out. I don't know. Um, but it, it just kind of, I don't know why I, I just, I saw it. I'm like, I just, I wasn't into it and I, I moved on. I'll, maybe I'll try that one again too. I don't think I forget is the Kaminsky method. And you can see that on uh, Netflix. It stars, uh, um, Michael Douglas and, uh, Alan, uh, Arkin. Um, it's, I think pretty funny. So those are a few recommendations for you. And then a football-related question. I know there have uh, been some discussions on the various uh, Packernet podcasts about um, having Jones and Dylan both in the backfield together. Um, uh, I wasn't sure if you've covered all the detail about um, in the past when we've done that. Um, how often do they both stay in the backfield? How often does one go out in motion? How often is it a run play versus a, a pass play? And on average, what's our yards, whether it's run or pass, uh, when we have uh, both of our running backs in the backfield. So a little curious about that, because I do think we'll see more and more of that going forward. Anyway, love the podcast. Thanks. Bye. So I'm going to have to break that up into parts. Um, that is a very good question, though. Um, i trying to think the best way to do that. Let me Let me pull up SIS here. Haven't done that in a while, by the way. Paid a lot of money for that, so I should be using that more often. So SIS, like a lot of these things, will work really well, um, but only to a certain extent. For example, I can look at a lot of data based on two running backs, but I can't put in which two running backs. So any plays in which the two running backs happen to be, you know, Josiah DeGuara and A.G. Dillon or something, you know, anything like that, it's usually going to be Jones and Dillon. But um, just so you know, that would be one potential discrepancy here. First of all, it should be noted that the Packers very, very rarely do this. Um, looking at it, Aaron Jones has had the um, most attempts of any Packer. Excuse me, A.J. Dillon has had the most attempts of any Packer. Um, he's had nine rushing attempts with two running backs. Aaron Jones has only rushed once with two running backs in the backfield. Uh, and that usually is the case with two running backs. A.J. Dillon ends up getting the carry, but only nine times. And for context, 
The running back who's done that the most is Elijah Mitchell with 142 rushing attempts. Dalvin Cook has had 129 rushing attempts while there's two running backs in the backfield. So very, very rarely do the Packers ever do this. In terms of statistics, um, again, very small sample size, so it's, it's hard to say, but Yards per attempt, Kylan Hill actually did it once also, uh, as did Aaron Jones. Kylan Hill got three yards per attempt. Aaron Jones, seven yards per attempt on his one attempt, so he got seven yards. A.J. Dillon is looking at four yards per attempt on his nine carries. And so really, it's only kind of worth, I mean, just rushing. We can look at passing too, but just as far as rushing, it's really only worthwhile looking at A.J. Dillon because one carry for the other two guys is kind of useless. But just comparing the two, and it's still a small sample size, but it's all I got. Um, four yards per attempt compared to A.J. Dillon, normally at 4.3, so it ends up being slightly lower. Yards after the uh, yards after contact per attempt, 2.8 yards normally, 2.8 yards in these situations, so same thing. Broken tackle percentage, 12.8% compared to 33% when there's two backs. I don't see any reason why there would be a correlation there. His first down rate is about the same, but slightly higher when it's not two backs. Uh, number of times hit at the line of scrimmage, almost exactly the same, right at 33%, 33.3 compared to 32.6. Stuff percentage is higher at um, with two backs, 22% compared to 11%. So not a, not a real big difference there in terms of rushing, but again, they didn't do it all that much. Now, in terms of receiving, um, interestingly enough here, it says routes run. Aaron Jones is actually number one. So the, the Packers didn't do this very often. And when they did, the most routes run by anybody, including wide receivers, was Aaron Jones, 17 routes run. He was targeted nine times compared to the second highest was Alan Lazard and A.J. Dillon with three. But uh, nine targets, nine catchable passes, eight receptions. He received uh, 22 yards, or he got 22 yards on those eight receptions. So nothing necessarily world-beating. Um, intended air yards of negative six. So largely behind the line of scrimmage passes, which makes sense. Yards after the catch, 59. So he got about twice as many yards as what I listed, actually 2.5 times or whatever. But again, he's most of that yardage was him trying to get back to the line of scrimmage. But one first down, one touchdown. So it, it's not a very w- explored thing. And I can, I can look at the rates too, as far as yards per route run and all that. It's not going to be all that fantastic because again, it's a lot of behind the line of scrimmage stuff. So even the successful plays were successful in a minor fashion. Um, There is, however, the overall value. They have their par and their war, which just kind of tells you how valuable of a player you are. The most valuable player that they had with on passing plays, when there's two running backs in the backfield, they have A.J. Dillon, 1.2, Alan Lazard, 1.1, MVS was 0.3. Tunyon, Winfrey, and Equinemius were at zero. Kylan Hill at minus one. Devontae Adams at minus three. And Aaron Jones at minus nine. I don't know exactly what brought them to that conclusion, but I'm just telling you that that's based on their mathematical formulas and everything else. Um, it was not very successful to have Aaron Jones as a primary target in these two back sets. Similarly, rushing in the two back sets, A.J. Dillon was the most value with 0.9. Kylan Hill at point two, Aaron Jones at point one. So I like the two back thing. I think it generally is is successful, but I also don't think there's been too many just massively impactful plays. But we'll see because again, they haven't done it all that often. So I, there's a lot of other stuff that you asked that I don't know that I can actually get an answer for in terms of how often did they you know motion a guy or this that or the other. I I don't know. 
I mean, I can tell you that the vast majority of the time somebody was in motion, probably Aaron Jones. So for example, of the nine carries that A.J. Dillon had, eight of them had somebody in motion. So again, if that's any bit helpful, there you go. But um, that's as far as I can think of right now, the best I can get you. Anyways, let's get to Brandon here. Hi, Ryan. This is Brandon from Indiana. Going on. And I have a question about how well we have really drafted over the past 10 to 12 years. I'd like you to take a deep dive into players that are currently on the roster and players who are no longer on the roster that are actually top 10 in their position, i.e. a Micah Hyde, a Corey Lindsley, uh, Javante Adams, and then compare that to other teams with how many people are available. Thank you. I love your podcast. Have a good night, bud. Bye. All right, so I think that's fair. And and one of the things I like about doing things this way is anytime I try to make a case for anything, Packers are good or bad at this or that or the other, I have to come up with the criteria. But if you call in and say, here's what I think makes a good drafter, and then you lay out the criteria, and, and doing it blind, which is great. You're not changing the criteria so that it fits your narrative. It's just, here's what I think makes a good team or, or a good drafting team. Let me know how they did. I like that, just blind. And that's what I like to do going into it, too. It's scary because you always are worried about what you're going to find in the results, but that's the best way to do it. Come up with what you think makes the most sense for you know at least somewhat adequate um, measure of things. And so uh, we can kind of look into that. I don't want to do 10 to 12 years because most of these guys are not going to be there and that's way too much work to be doing. I mean, it would take me, you know, it'd take me a long time. But what could we do here? Um, plus, there's been a lot of GM turnover. What if we called it, first of all, we got to figure out how many top 10 players there are, period. That might be, doing it in reverse order might be the best way to do it. Um, and so let, let's at least look at the Packers. Let's, let's look at how many top 10 players they have and how many of them were drafted. I mean, we could do by Brian Gutekunst if we wanted to because we know, but um, other teams would be nice to have like a solid standard of call it five years or so. But just going based on uh, PFF, you've got Aaron Rodgers, you have A.J. Dillon, you have Aaron Jones, you have Mercedes Lewis, you have Elton Jenkins is close, but he's 11th, so he does not make the cut. Um... Devondre Campbell, who obviously we didn't draft, and Rashawn Gary, and I think that's it. You you also would have to look at a few other people. Jair's not on here because he didn't play, but I think you could probably put Jair in that category. I'm guessing you would be okay with me doing that. I don't think I'm missing anybody. Can't put Devontae there because he left, obviously. I mean, you can if you, if you wanted to say, but either way, it wasn't a Brian Gutekunst pick, so we don't have to worry about it. So of that list, Aaron Rodgers, we did not draft. AJ, yes. Aaron, no. Mercedes, no, but it was a free agent acquisition, which is something, but that doesn't count. So Jair, Rashawn, and A.J. Dillon, I think, are the only ones. Maybe you'd be uh, allowing a guy like Elton on there if we're going to be super strict and say he has to be exactly top 10, then that doesn't count. But um, I'm I'm calling it three for the Packers. I don't think I missed anybody. Darnell is not. Um, who else would be on there? Stokes is not. Myers is not. And the rest is this year's class. So yeah, I think that's, so there's three guys in the last five years. Trying to think if there's an efficient way to kind of go through this. Let's look at the NFC North, because I don't know if I want to go through all 32 teams. We'll go through the NFC North, then we'll maybe cherry pick a couple teams that are seen to be really good drafting teams. 
I know this isn't exactly what you asked, but I'm trying to figure out how to make it, you know, palatable for uh, a show. So the Chicago Bears very quickly running through, and I might be missing somebody, but I don't think they have anybody that's top 10. DeAndre Houston Carson was a top 10 safety, so you can add him to the list, I suppose. Unfortunately, that was 2016, so that does not count. I don't even know if it was the Bears that got him, but it still doesn't count. Roquan, certainly not. So I don't see anybody. Maybe there's a situation with somebody getting injured or whatever, but I don't think they have any. So the Bears get zero. The Minnesota Vikings obviously have Justin Jefferson would be top 10. Uh, Cousins is top 10, but he doesn't count because he was not drafted by them. So you got Jefferson. Um, CJ Ham is two of six. Are we are we counting fullbacks? <laughs> that was 2016 anyway, so that doesn't count. But uh, let's see. Is there anybody else on the team that is considered a top 10? Harrison Smith was 11th. Either way, it wasn't in the last five years because I'd like to include him, but I can't. I don't see anybody else. Uh, Daniil Hunter is ranked 15th, so he would be outside of that um, top 10. It was also 2015. I'm trying to make sure I'm not missing an obvious person that was injured or something last year, and I don't think I am. So, so the Vikings have one. Detroit, scrolling, scrolling, don't see anyone that's top 10. 18th was Mike Hughes. That's it. So I don't see anybody. Teams that get a lot of love for their front office. I know the Baltimore Ravens typically do. Um, Lamar is not that guy. He's not top 10. Uh, Patrick Ricard is a fullback, which is kind of cheating because literally all of them are top 10. Marcus Williams, the safety who I actually talked about recently, um, I think in my safety article about being really underrated safety. Unfortunately, he was drafted in 2017, so that was six years ago. That is outside of the cut, so that doesn't count. Um, Calais Campbell is eighth, but he doesn't count. Might Again, might be missing somebody here that's really obvious, um, but these are just... The only way you get ranked by PFF is if you played significant snaps last year. So if you were injured or something, it won't count, or if you just didn't play enough. Uh, so like Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, I don't know if they would make the cut, but they they are not top 10 right now based on what they did last year because they didn't play enough. Oh, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is an obvious one. So um, completely missed that. He was number one out of 70 tight ends, third round pick in 2018. So Baltimore, from what I can see, is one. Buffalo probably gets more credit for their front office than anybody. Josh Allen, obviously, 2018. Yeah, just just makes the cut. He is top 10. Stephon Diggs is 12th, so he does not. Gabe Davis is ranked 10th at wide receiver. He was a 2020 fourth round pick. Just double check and make sure it was the Bills that did it and he didn't just get randomly picked up or anything. Um, kind of an unusual situation because, you know, it's it's a big second year breakout for a fourth round pick. I don't know if it's legit or not, but he technically fits the qualifications as top 10, so we'll give it to him. So that would be two. Um, scrolling, scrolling, looking at the defense. Micah Hyde obviously does not make the cut, although he was fifth. And Von Miller is third. He obviously does not make the cut. So I'm looking at two with one of them being very iffy, uh, fourth round wide receiver who had kind of an outlier, really good year. I'm seeing one in the last five years that's top 10. And again, this isn't to say they don't have good players, but that wasn't the criteria you gave me. So I'm just kind of going with that. Um, Indianapolis gets a lot of credit for their front office. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, number one. So there you go. There's one. Um, do, do, do. Sixth, Darius Leonard, the linebacker. That would be two. And that's it. So they're at two. 
Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes actually ranked 11th, so <laughs> I, I can't give him that. Plus, it's 2017 anyways, but, you know, again, I can't do it. Uh, 40, 60, 19. Travis Kelsey is fourth, but he was drafted in 2013. Creed Humphrey was the number one center, so that would be one. Uh, Joe Thune was 2016. Trey Smith is not a top 10. Uh, Rashad Fenton, the cornerback, 2019 sixth-round pick, ranked sixth. So, um, again, kind of a fluky thing, but technically qualifies. He was drafted by the Chiefs, I believe, in the sixth round. It doesn't say here. So that would be two. Um, Chris Jones, that's 2016. That doesn't count. So they're at two. The Rams get a decent amount of respect. I don't know if it's necessary. I'm not even going to do the Rams because they don't draft. So that, that's not even worth looking at. Patriots, I don't think, get as much respect anymore, but it's still Bill Belichick, and he's still seen as the standard by a lot of people, so we might as well look at it. Mac Jones was 12th, so he doesn't make the cut. Uh, Damian Harris was number two, so that would count. That's one. Um, Actually, Ramondre Stevenson was 10th, so that's two running backs. They've got two there. Hunter Henry was not a guy that they drafted. David Andrews, was that three? They get a lot of crap. Oh, no, he was drafted too long ago. Um, actually, I should check these other guys, make sure. When were, when was... All right, yeah, so two running backs. Their sixth-round tackle ranked third, so that's three for them. Um, Adrian Phillips, was he drafted by the Patriots? I don't know. He ranked eighth at safety. Is he an undrafted free agent or what? I don't know. That's 2014, so it doesn't matter. So the Patriots are at three also. I think the last one we'll look at is the 49ers, just trying to pick teams that I think others would say, hey, you didn't include them. Top 10, you got Debo, so that's a win. Kyle Juszczyk, again, not doing tight ends. George Kittle was 2017, so he doesn't make the cut. Trent Williams was 2010. Um, Fred Warner was 2018, so that does count. He was fourth, so that's two, I believe. And then Nick Bosa would make three. So the 49ers, the Patriots, and the Packers have three. Nobody else has more than three that I can see. Um, And again, you can change what top 10 means. Maybe I missed some people that were out injured that you would want in there. Um, Maybe you say you don't need to be too super strict. Well, then you can add guys like um, Elton Jenkins and, and, and stuff like that to bolster what the Packers did also. So, I mean, again, I don't know if that's the best criteria, but that is your criteria, or that is a criteria that you gave me. And based on that, yeah, I think the Packers are one of the best drafting teams in the last five years in terms of getting top 10 talent in the draft. And I like the future outlook, too. I like the potential of guys like Eric Stokes to crack that. I think Josh Myers has the potential to crack that. Um, I think Savage, honestly, has the potential to to be that guy, even if it's just for a year. Um Maybe not a consistent top 10, but an occasional top 10. And then this, obviously, this draft class, there's plenty of guys that could crack that. Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Christian Watson, Sean Ryan, Romeo Dobbs, Zach Tom. I think all of those guys have that potential, possibly even Kingsley, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave him off that list. So I think they passed the test. Finally, we did get a late admission from JJ, so let's get him in the mix, and then we'll call it a day. Is Roquan a good football player? Why or why not? <laughs> is is Roquan a good football player? Why or why not? Um, I'm I'm laughing because I can't really answer that. And the entire reason I can't answer that, and, and maybe you know this, JJ, because you you maybe snuck and listened to it. I'm guessing you didn't, but I don't know. Um, tomorrow's episode is almost entirely about that. 
what I did with DeAndre Swift on the Packernet After Dark podcast, where I went through basically all the stats and I said, you tell me. I'm just going to read it. You tell me how good he is. I did that with Roquan. I did it with a couple other Bears guys as well because there were some Bears people on there that were kind of chiming in about how stupid J.J. was because um, he said that we don't have a good defense. He's an idiot. We obviously do. They went on to say Roquan is a top three inside linebacker and that Jalen Johnson is a borderline top 10 corner. And so I kind of just went through stat by stat and said, you stop me when you hear a top three linebacker. And the bottom line is he's not. And so if you've been waiting for me to put my money where my mouth is on that, tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow is the official day where you're going to be able to hear, again, everything. And, and, and I don't know what else to do. All I can give you is every single minute stat that is available. You know what? You know what I didn't do was SIS. Let me just see real quick if SIS has any information that I could give you. Because I don't give it tomorrow, and, and, and I don't want to just leave you with how you can check it out tomorrow. Let's just see. If SIS says that he's a top three linebacker, then I guess I'm an idiot. I don't know. All right, so according to SIS and their par ranking, which again, they have war and they have par. I think they're very similar. It's just, you know, war is, for example, if we just look at starting at eighth overall, 0.2.2.2.2, you know what I mean? It's not as granular, so you don't get as, as blown up of a picture. Um, looking at their par rankings as a result, Roquan Smith ranks 46th. 46th, positive play percentage. What percentage of the time does he have a positive play? He ranks 94th. Points above average per play, he ranks 88th. Points saved per play, he ranks 85th. What do you want me to do, man? What do you want me to do? There's nothing here. There's nothing here. He doesn't have good grades. And you can make fun of PFF all you want because they're so stupid. Their grades are stupid. Everyone knows it's a joke. Okay, but you can go through every single stat. The guy's not top three. He's not top 10. He's not top 20. He's not top anything. There's no information anywhere in the world that says he's a good linebacker unless you're just looking at cumulative stats, which is stupid. Well, look at how many tackles. Look at all the tackles, dude. (laughs) Even then, I don't know that he's necessarily super high. I don't know. Broken and missed tackle rate, 5.9%. He ranks 36th. Not third, not second, not first, not fifth or, or seventh or ninth. If you look at solo tackles, 85, he ranks fourth. There you go. Top five. I, I, that's, that's all you need to know. Don't need to worry about how many opportunities he's had or anything like that. Don't need to worry about any of that. It's irrelevant. Point is, he's tackled a lot of people, dude. I mean, it's less than Devondre Campbell got, but we don't need to worry about that. Point is... Guy can tackle. Therefore, and, and everybody knows, in the modern NFL, what really matters is lots of tackles. That's what you draft a linebacker for. It's not covering, you know, guys. It's not eating up space and coverage. It's not being like a safety hybrid, basically. It's not read and react and sideline to sideline. It's not, it's none of that. It's tackling. It's, it's A.J. Hawk. I mean, if that guy was in the league today, man, he would be primo. There's nothing here. And again, check in tomorrow. We're going to go through a lot of stats and a lot of grades, and he's not at the top of basically any of them except, you know, one or two maybe. So to answer your question, Roquan Smith is not a good football player. And even if you want to say he's not as bad as you make him out to be fine, don't buy into the grades. Don't think he's a, a bottom 10 or bottom 20 or whatever linebacker. Fine, but you, at the very least, you have to stop saying he's a good linebacker. At best, he's mediocre. 
And and by mediocre, essentially, all we're doing is averaging it out. We're averaging out the fact that he's a decent coverage linebacker and is a trash rushing linebacker. You average it out, you get about average. If you want to be generous, depending on what you're looking at. Again, I'm looking at a lot of stuff here that he's 80th, 90th. You look at his grades, he's 80th, 90th. It's bad. It's all bad. None of it's good. And if all you can do is snicker and sneer at grades, and then you turn around and look at his tackle numbers to prove to me that he's top three, despite the fact that he's not even top three in tackles, that's embarrassing. So don't do that. But anyways, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do not this. So another day closer, ladies and gentlemen, another day closer to training camp. I'm, I'm so excited. I've been gearing up all day. I actually haven't gotten much accomplished because I've been spending so much time like preparing for preparing trying to figure out how to like best take notes and everything. I'm, I'm an idiot. But uh, you guys have yourselves a fantastic night. I will talk to you bright and early tomorrow where I will be trashing Roquan a lot. Have a good day. Bye-bye.